The Digested Read by John Crace Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance by Robert M. Persig Even at 60 miles an hour the wind is warm as I weave the bike along the roads less travelled towards the Dakota Mountains. I am channelling the universe, at one with my megalomania, as my twelve-year-old son, Chris, hangs on for grim death. Why are we doing this? he asked later that evening at the campsite. To showcase my brilliance, I reply. I'd rather go to Disney World. That's because you are driven by your ego. I read a few pages of Tarot out loud because it is so much more important for Chris to hear something he does not understand before checking through my rucksack for the 17th time that day and tinkering with the spark plugs. John and Sylvia, who arrived ahead of us, come over for a chat. My bike is making an odd noise, he says. You need to adjust the tappets, novice. I declare. I am wasting my valuable breath. So I began the first of what I'd grandiosely call my chautauqua, my philosophical digressions. John and Sylvia are romantics, terrified by modern technology and unwilling to engage with the dualism of the carburetor point split. While I tend towards the more rational classical position, I have also learned to view the world through my all-seeing middle eye, of the Buddha. Sylvia nudges John awake and suggests we get something to eat. I don't feel well, Chris says. You will never feel well until you subsume your egotism to mine, I snap. Now sod off for a while while I amaze myself with my own genius some more. After the wimp had made his way snivelling to his tent, I launch into yet another fascinating chautauqua on the a priori presumption of a motorcycle from second to second, before explaining to John that the doctor had diagnosed Chris with a severe mental illness. I'm not surprised with you as a dad, John mutters. That's the typical response of the unenlightened romantic. I reply, levitating with a self-congratulation of the logic of my oneness. My chautauquas accelerate with ever-increasing intensity and depth as I expose the internal fallacies of Newtonian physics and pour scorn on the solipsistic abyss of the incoherent ramblings of Hegel and Hume. I adjust the fuel flow to harmonise the bike with the altitude and... As we pull into Bozeman, John and Sylvia inexplicably decide to head off on their own. I realise later I could have done more to flesh out their characters, but to have done so would have been to give them an existence independent of my own, which, dialectically speaking, would have negated their reality, as I alone am their maker. The ghost of Phaedrus hangs heavy, but I take refuge in Mew, where existence and non-existence meet in Japanese nothingness. I take Chris to meet Deweese, a former colleague at the Bozeman campus where I taught. I'm bored, Chris yawns. I'm doing this for the benefit of your ego, I snap tetchily. 
Who is Phaedrus, I hear you ask? He is my alter ego, the searcher I once was before I was crushed by a world that was not ready for my IQ and was forced to undergo electroconvulsive therapy. The spirit of Chautauqua strengthens as Aquarius aligns with Mars amid the acid casualties imagined enlightenment and Phaedrus addresses his students. How can we know the meaning of quality? He inquires rhetorically. Quality is, of itself, something we all intuitively know. So I'm going to stop marking your essays. Isn't that a peculiarly narrow US-centric view? No one points out. For is not the idea of quality culturally relative? You're too clever to teach at Bozeman, the dean declares. Grow a beard and go to Chicago. Exhausted by the originality of my latest Chautauqua, I race Chris to the summit of a desolate Montana peak. I'm scared, he says. It's your ego that makes you such a wuss. Phaedrus distills the canon of Western philosophical thought, showing up Plato, Aristotle, Locke, Nietzsche, Poincaré and the rest of them for the brainless half-wits they undoubtedly are as he tap-dances through the conundra of the substantive and methodological fields to emerge in the Elysian fields of Zen, where quality is undefinable, yet self-evident. But surely for something to be self-evident, yet undefinable, is a logical contradiction in terms, Chris says, scratching his head, searching hopelessly for some self-evident quality in the book. Your ego is still blinding you to the truth, I say. Do you not realise that Phaedrus is Greek for wolf? Um, no it isn't, he answers. It is if I say it is. Okay, buddy. I change the oil and tinker with the chain for several days before we complete our journey to the Pacific coast. I sense that memories of Phaedrus are tormenting Chris in his sleep and I long to merge our three selves in a monist trinity. We symbolically remove our helmets for the first time, high on the cliff overlooking the ocean. The voice of Phaedrus weakens, the Socratic dialectic finally resolved in a half-arsed pseudo-intellectual mishmash of Western and Eastern philosophy. I take Chris in my arms. Close your eyes, my son, and soar with me beyond the world of Kant. You'll always be a Kant to me, Dad. <laughs>